Hey there, language lovers. My name is Shannon Kennedy, and I'm the co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. In this episode, we're talking to Andrew, a Fluent in Three Months Challenge participant who learned both German and Spanish with us. The Fluent in Three Months Challenge is an intensive language program where you aim to have a 15-minute conversation after just 90 days. You can learn more at languagehacking.com slash challenge. In this episode, we discuss how language and sports connect, using mini milestones or missions to stay motivated, the importance of discipline, accountability, and community, habit stacking, and building scripts and language islands. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, you can let us know by leaving us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. We love hearing from you and your reviews help us both choose what we're going to talk about and who we're going to talk to in future episodes, as well as help other language learners like yourself find us. Now, let's get into our conversation with Andrew. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 86. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Shannon Kennedy. I'm here with my co-host, Benny Lewis. And today we're talking to Andrew, who is a football coach and Fluent in Three Months Challenge participant. He's learned both German and Spanish with us. So why don't we go ahead and just get started? And what got you into languages, Andrew? Yeah, so just to clarify for some of listeners from the United States, when I am a football coach, here we would call that soccer. So uh, that is really how I got started. When I played soccer in college, we had a team of about 35, and I was one of maybe four of the 35 that was from the United States. So the team itself was very international. We had probably 14 or 15 different countries represented. And that meant for most of them, English was a second or even third language. So Every day I'd go to practice, I'd hang out in the locker room, go to eat with all these people from so many different countries. And I would just hear all these different languages constantly, which both got me excited to learn. But the other part of that was it really showed me that it was possible because here's 20, 25 other people that are close friends of mine who are my age. And they're all living in a different country, speaking a different language, maybe not perfectly, but I mean, I was still great friends with them. They were able to form friendships in a new language. So that really proved to me that it was possible. And how do you find that the experience of uh, sharing languages with people who are not actually in the language learning space because they're in sports and how, how do these two connect with the sports and the languages? I see a lot of similarities learning a sport versus learning a language. I've seen a lot of um, carryover and kind of the mindset and the approach to it. You don't start playing a sport on day one and expect to be great at it. I mean, everybody just kind of gets that in the sports world. But when you start learning a language, you kind of, like, I at least started getting upset my first go around at learning a new language that, oh my gosh, it's taking so long. It's been three weeks already and I can't have a conversation, but put that in a sports context and be crazy to think that I could go play a professional basketball game in three weeks. It would take years of training. So it really um helped me up with my mindset and, being having the right uh, mentality around learning language. It won't necessarily be quick or easy, but you can absolutely make great progress in a short amount of time. Doesn't mean you'll be fluent, doesn't mean you'll be native, just like you won't be a professional sport player in a few weeks, but you can absolutely have fun with it and get to a level where you can connect with people through the sport, through the language. 
in a short amount of time. So let's talk a little bit about your history with learning these languages prior to joining the challenge. What did that look like for you and how did you find it was working? Uh, so prior, I'm my first experience learning is probably like a lot of people um, here in the States is through school, middle school and or high school. We had Spanish class for about six weeks out of the entire school year. And each year you basically relearn the same thing. So it's probably pretty similar to a lot of people. I remembered almost nothing from that. It was fun. I was interested in it at the time, but I just, it was memorizing how to say poster and pencil and notebook. And it just didn't do anything for me. Never had an actual conversation. Same all the way kind of through a couple of years of high school. And it wasn't really until college where I got excited that, oh my gosh, this is actually possible. And there's other ways to learn just by hearing them talk. And you meet them on day one of the college school year and they can barely speak English. And by the end of the first school year, they're so much better. So you just see the progress. So that is really where I started seeing that this is possible. So from there, I did what, again, a lot of people probably do. I looked up just different apps you could download and started doing that just five, 10 minutes a day. And it was kind of discouraging to start because I didn't see a lot of progress. I didn't enjoy it, nor did I really steam myself talking more to these friends in the locker room or hanging out more often with them like that, like I wanted to. So it was really uh, discouraging at the start. And it wasn't until I read some books and different articles online. I kind of found fluent in three months and a few other people where I started thinking, wow, there's a much better way for me that I could make progress. I tested it out and it wasn't just reading about making progress. I experienced it for myself. The language hacking Spanish book was probably my first real resource where I noticed progress for myself. And as a a former sports player, there's a little competitiveness in me, I'll admit. So when the language hacking book first came out, there was a mission so that I'm sure you all know there's mission like mission one at the end of each chapter. And the whole time I was going through it, I kept checking the spot where you submit your videos for each mission. And I really wanted to be the first one to get to mission 10. And I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I was the first one to submit all 10 missions. So there's definitely some competitiveness there that helped, but I saw progress and that is why I stuck with it. It wasn't just winning the missions. It was seeing progress as I was going, made it more and more enjoyable. Yeah, that's amazing that you possibly were the first person to submit that uh, uh, number 10 video. And as you said, the competitiveness definitely overlaps. And I would love to hear from your perspective, given the connection with sports, what other overlaps have you found with language learning and sports? So with sports, and I might even change a little bit because my full-time job outside of um, being a college soccer coach. I'm also a fitness coach. I have my own fitness training business where I personally train, coach a lot of people every day. So I see a lot of similarities between sport, the fitness aspect, and language learning. So for like a fitness perspective, for example, everybody, and this is true for sports too to agree, everybody has a lot of motivation when they start. And after a few weeks, that really goes away, whether you're starting a fitness journey, weight loss, for example, or if you're starting to learn a new language, it's really exciting in the beginning, but that pretty quickly goes away. And so what I coach people to do in fitness is to set up kind of what I call milestones, these little mini milestones as we go. And my first few weeks, first few go arounds at learning language, I was not doing that. And I, like most people, kind of the motivation just kind of went away and I didn't want to open up the book or open up the language learning resource at night. Um, It wasn't until I kind of took those lessons I learned from fitness and what I probably learned when I was very young in sport and I applied it to the language learning that 
I started seeing myself say more consistent and the motivation was higher. It was a more consistent motivation. And so what I mean by mini milestones, and I have tons of the different ones that I use for language learning specifically. So I, for example, one of my first milestones I hit is when I spend my first five minutes learning a language. And that's a really cool milestone to me. It's I've started, I've committed, I've made my first step. And maybe the next mini milestone that I use is when I, when I uh, spend my first full week learning a language. That's an awesome milestone. I look back, wow, I've gone a whole week. So a mini milestone to me, and I use milestone versus step because the word step to me is you're constantly moving forward. But a milestone is a spot that you hit and you look how far you've come and where the next milestone is. So it's looking back and applauding yourself, but also looking forward to the next little mini goal, the mini motivation. So first time learning language, first week, first full week of it, maybe my first uh, script that I've made. And then maybe it's my first time having a five minute conversation with somebody. Maybe it's my first time having a 15 minute conversation. One of my favorite milestones and learning languages that I've found so far is my first time I can tell a joke in a different language. That's a huge milestone that I really celebrate. And I use these because, like I said, I can notice how far I've come. It's a good spot to say, wow, I've made so much progress. Good for me. But also it gives me a little mini goal that's attainable in the next couple of days, couple of weeks. So I always have that new goal, that new motivation. And from the sports side, it's that same competitive. You have a game every couple of days. So you always have something you're training for, always something you're working towards. And again, same in the fitness world. One other overlap that I've noticed in fitness, um, I do some sports, but I'm not quite as into it as you, but I do music. And one of the things that you build in studying something like music or sports in the way that you and I have is discipline. And this is something that I like to talk about a lot because we tend to kind of fall back and rely on motivation, but it's really discipline that helps us maintain consistency. So especially as a coach, I'd love to hear your thoughts on discipline versus motivation and what some of the things you found work for staying disciplined in pursuing something like a language or a sport. Yeah, that's a great question. And I will say I have very little music knowledge, so I can uh, speak to the sports side of that, but not so much the music side. So from a sports side, discipline is kind of two factors in sport and it applies similarly to language learning. In sport, most sports are team-based. So you either have teammates or training partners or a coach. So you have people counting on you, depending on you to get better, to win the game, to show up even. So it's this built-in accountability that is there with sport, which is a huge part of discipline because, again, if my discipline is going down, but the team's counting on me, now I have this external source. So you're not relying only on internal. You have internal and external sources. And so that same concept applied to language learning you can have a tutor, for example, who you tell them you'll show up next week on Monday and Wednesday at 8 a.m. And now they're counting on you to show up. So even if my internal discipline's going down, that external's there. What I found works for me just as well, might be a little biased here, but the Fluent in Three Month Challenge, I mean, that's built in accountability. That's your team while for the next 90 days. And that's why I've done it multiple times now, because you have that team and you don't really get punished, so to speak, if you don't show up. But just having a team, you want to show up for them because they show up for you and it's reciprocal. Um, so that's a huge um, part of discipline for me. Another part that, again, lessons I learned from sport and from fitness and applied to language learning is making it easy to go to practice, make it easy to go to the sport, make it easy to go to the gym, and then make it easy to learn a language. So for me, that meant have my soccer uniform, my soccer equipment laid out the night before so that I can wake up and go straight there. It's sitting in a bag right by the door. And language learning, that means if I have my resource and it's a book at the moment, I have it open to the page on my desk or my language learning area, the kitchen table, wherever it is. 
And I would literally have it open to the page I wanted with a pen sitting right next to it every night so that when I get home at 6 or 7 or 8 p.m. at night, it's ready for me and it's easy to do. It's harder to ignore it. It's harder to move the book off the table than it is just to start looking and reading the words in it. You've mentioned the importance of teams. And as uh, as you know, we have the dream team within the challenge. So I'd be I'd love to hear how your um, experience with the dream team enhanced your language learning and how you found that they helped you. I believe the first challenge I did, it was kind of optional if you wanted to be put in a dream team or not. And I chose to be in a dream team just because I have that sport that teamwork is awesome background. Um, so with the dream team concept, I mean, you have a couple other people that are usually learning a language similar to you. And for me, that was awesome because soccer coaching, I'm pretty comfortable. I've been doing that my whole life. I kind of know the best ways and whatnot, but language learning, I'm still pretty new into this. I've been doing it a couple of years, but so many other people do it so differently. And there's so many different methods, so many different resources, so many different strategies and even goals of language learning. So when you have that dream team, if I'm struggling, I had those other people that said, oh, I'm also struggling or, hey, I was struggling and I found this way to do it. And you can just bounce ideas off of people. You can feel validated if you've been struggling and someone else has said, hey, I'm struggling too. And you don't feel alone, which is huge. But also you can get a new idea, that, a new way of looking at it that you didn't think of previously. So to me, having a team, the entire challenge is awesome. But having that smaller, small group, uh, intimate team, that's invaluable because of, like I said, the connection, the resources, you get to know people. So you're with them even more, um, even more accountability with that small group compared to the big group. And it's just, it's awesome. And it's one of the reasons I keep coming back. So to kind of continue on the thread of community and connection, you had mentioned that through sports, you have the opportunity to connect with and meet people who speak other languages. So that's obviously one way that you're combining languages with sports, but are there any other things that you're doing to combine the two or habit stack them? I don't do it consciously, but I'm sure unconsciously there's a couple. And what comes to mind for me, one of the first things I do for me in the mornings when I not work related, the first personal things I do in the mornings is exercise. I like to do it early in the morning and if I can. And I found that that is what I just enjoy that personally. Um, the fitness, the exercise training part, that's just a personal enjoyment for me. And I found if I do language learning right before one language learning gets done, but two, it's kind of like a treat. I get to go exercise after this. It's something I look forward to each day. And again, I'm one of those weird people who enjoys the exercise. So that might not work for everybody. But that's where language learning really easily fits in for me. I'm able to do it first. And as a reward, I get to go do this exercise training that I like. So that is one way. And I've never really thought about it like that. But that's one way I kind of have it uh, stack those together. But then another one that I've picked up from sports and fitness coaching about the community aspect of it is that you have, as a sport, you have a coach, someone who's a little bit more knowledgeable than you. You have teammates, people that are kind of the same level as you. And then usually there's brand new teammates or you, you coached yourself, someone younger. So you have someone that you're helping. So language learning, that's what I've tried to bring in from the sport world. I usually have a coach. It might be my language tutor. It might be someone like yourself, Shannon, within the Fluent Three Months Challenge. And they're my coach. They're the one who helps me, teach me. They're kind of knowledge-wise above me. But then I have people on the same level as me that we're kind of motivating, friendly, challenging with. And that's all the other participants in the challenge, typically, or other people learning the language beside me. But then it's really helpful to teach it to someone who's for uh, earlier along than you. So teach brand new people in the challenge or within the dream team. It might be someone who's brand new and I'm two months into it. So I can give them advice. And what I've learned from sport is it's really helpful because when you go to coach or teach something, you really learn what you know well and what your own hidden gaps are in knowledge. So 
when I learn something from you, I learn something from a book. That's my coach. I learn it alongside people to help me get better. And then I can go teach what I know and it kind of reinforces it to me. So I try to take that from sport to fitness to language as well. So as a part of the challenge, we have people upload their uh, day 30, day 60, day 90 videos. And if it's one of their first challenges, they tend to have uh, more simple, straightforward conversations. But in one of your day 90 videos, you and the native German speaker actually had a chat about football. So was football specifically one of your language islands that you tried to really build up vocabulary? And if so, could you tell us how your process was for that? Because people don't typically get into such specific topics until much later in their language learning. Yeah, that concept of language islands, that was one of the biggest language hacks for me that really um, started accelerating my progress, kind of the me-specific vocabulary. And that was a concept that really resonated with me and helped me. So uh, for me, from uh, to a degree, yes, uh, a lot of football, soccer, specific words and knowledge is what I was trying to learn because I am a soccer coach and one of the people that I interacted most with on the team was a native German. So it just made sense. I needed to learn. And kind of the way I went about it was watching one, a lot of uh, soccer highlights, YouTube native, but not ESPN in the United States. I'd watch German uh, sport highlights from soccer, from football. And then a lot of that going back every day at practice, I can practice the new words I learned. I can talk to him. Hey, how do you say this? How do you say this? And I would do that every day. I was basically a beginner asking him questions. How do you say this word? How do you say this soccer coaching word? And I would just learn and learn and learn. Um, but also it's just kind of a passion of mine. So it's not so much I have to learn this. It was I enjoyed watching the highlight videos. I enjoyed being at practice and talking. So it very easily fit into my life. In Spanish, I do a little bit less of that, oddly enough. I know people um, have different personalities, as I've learned from the coaches, such as Shannon, that people tend to have different personalities in different languages. So Spanish, I, for whatever reason, am much less soccer, football-specific, and more just personal connection, meeting new people on the street type of vocabulary that I've built up so far. So earlier on, we talked a lot about motivation and discipline, but even when we have good systems for both of those things, there are moments where we want to maybe throw in the towel and step away, take a break. Um, so have you ever experienced any moments like these? And if you did, what did you do to return to your language learning? Yes, I absolutely have for a couple different reasons. From my first language learning experience to my next couple where I had more success, um, I definitely took different strategies that fit better with me. So for example, my first time around, I was kind of a resource hopper in the fitness world. I used to call them like a program hopper. They do yoga one day, then a friend says, you need to go do spinning. And then, oh, you need to whip the weights. You need to go to this class, that class. And you're just constantly changing it up and never really making progress. I was guilty of that my first go around at language learning. I was going from this resource to that app. And then someone said, you should do this method. And I did that method. I never got good at any of them. Um, so my next few times, what I learned from that was find the one or two that really worked for me and stick with it. And that helped a lot with motivation because I was seeing progress. But with that being said, you still do um, ultimately lose motivation to a degree. So for me in the fitness world, there's this awesome concept of kind of using dials. And it's from a company called Precision Nutrition. That's where I first learned it. But basically, the concept is think of like a radio dial that can be dialed from one to ten. And what's a 10 in language learning? Maybe that for me, for you specifically. So for me, a 10 in language learning, maybe that's an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening of study, a 30-minute conversation in the middle of the day. That's when I'm a 10 out of 10. 
And a one out of 10 is maybe doing absolutely nothing that day. I'm basically off. And then fitness, for example, it's very easy to be all or nothing. You're either exercising or you're not. You either go an hour a day or zero minutes a day. And that's really common for people to think. And the concept is, well, you were at a 10. What would a seven look like? Maybe a seven is 20 minutes of exercise. Maybe a seven in language learning is just 20 minutes of study a day or one YouTube video in a native language. So I would keep that concept and I kind of wrote out what my dials were and I kind of gave myself permission to not have to be at a 10 or a one. If I want to go down to a four, that's okay at first sometimes. So for me, for the past few months, I've not been on a 10 like I was um, when I was learning German so intensely. I've intentionally dialed it down to a four or five where maybe it's just some native YouTube videos. I'm not actively studying, but there's still something. So I'm always doing something and having that concept of a dial yeah, this is out of four because my business is out of 10 right now. And then in a few months, it might switch where business goes down and language learning goes back up. Do you have some kind of a process where you can figure out which one of these different activities you're doing are going to potentially give you that 10? Because like you said, you had to experiment and you had to um, uh, see which kind of activities were giving you better motivation. But like, how do you know which direction to go in and which apps may be beneficial to you or which ways you invest your time are going to give you the best bang for your buck? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. I don't have an exact science, so to speak. Um, it was a little bit trial and error. But now that I know what works for me, it makes more sense why it works for me. So for example, my background, I love reading. I talk to Shannon about books and stories. Just stories in general really grab me whether it's a TV show with a really good storyline, storytelling in general, I really like. So it makes sense that I like resources that are more story-based, where I maybe read an easy, like level one greater book in the beginning and then move up to like a level three Spanish book in the end. It's one long storyline. And that really works for me because I like the story aspect of it. But doing an app where you just have random words pop up, there's no storytelling, there's nothing to it, and I lose interest right away. I never once used a flashcard in school. My entire middle school, high school, college, master's degree, I never once used a flashcard. So I have no idea why I tried to struggle with Anki or whatnot for six months. It's great, and I heard so many other people have great success with it, but I've never used flashcards in my life. So I could have saved myself a lot of time by don't thinking flashcards shouldn't work for me in language learning as well. So a lot of it, if I had to coach someone new in language learning, I would kind of ask them a little bit about their background and do you like stories or do they not do anything for you? Do you use flashcards in school 15 years ago or do you not? And then kind of pull those threads from other areas of life and see what could easily relate when you're choosing your method, your resource with languages. Returning back to talking a little bit about your experience and the challenge, we've talked about a few of the different elements like community and the videos, but one of the other things that I know you were a really active participant in were the language parties. So can you talk a little bit about your experience in the language parties and how you found value in participating in those? Yeah, so language parties were great, um, hosted by other language learners within the challenge. So it was an easy way to, one, just get speaking practice in and not to be selfish, but I mean, it's free speaking practice, practice. So I didn't have to pay for a tutor's time. So that was awesome. It's another chance to get a conversation in. But really, it's a chance to connect with your language learning partners in a different way. We're not speaking in English in this stream team right now. We're speaking all in our native languages and you can watch them make progress. So you can, you know that for a couple of weeks now, this dream team member has been struggling with this concept to introduce themselves, for example. And then you go to this language party and you watch them introduce themselves to three or four people. And that's a really cool mo moment because you've been with them throughout their journey. So you can cheer them on and in return, they do the same thing for you. 
You can hear them cheer you on what you struggle with. They know what you've been struggling with from this dream team um, meetings that we have. And then if they show up to the language party, they can kind of help give you uh, feed you easy ways to improve on that struggle of yours. So it was a great way to connect with different people. It was a great way to connect with past challenge members, but also to get speaking practice in, which is kind of one of the ultimate goals as well. So you juggle a lot of things in your life with your coaching and sports and language learning. And what would you say to somebody who is a newbie language learner and in their mind, they have too busy a schedule to possibly fit in language learning? What would you say to them to help them to get over that setback? I would tell them that I understand completely where they're coming from. I've, depending on the time of year, I have three to four different jobs. So I am right there with them. And I think it's very helpful to look at other language learners and see what they do, what works for them. They study three hours a day, six hours a day, but at the same time, understand that it doesn't have to be that way. Just because someone studies six hours a day and can go from an A1 to C2 in three months, for example, like that doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. So it's kind of giving yourself grace, give yourself permission to not have to do that. That's a 10 out of 10 on that dial. So if I'm doing nothing, I mean, going to a three out of 10 is still awesome. So what I had to do for myself just because I was gone from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. six nights a week. I mean, I didn't have that much time. So one, see how you can fit into your life. I was in the car a lot. So can I find audiobooks, for example, that are story-based, which is what I did for a whole lot of it. Um, but try to fit into your life if you can. But also understand it doesn't have to be what everybody else is doing. If someone is works from home and they have a flexible work schedule, you probably won't be able to keep up with a pure number of hours. And that's okay because you can still make progress. You don't have to go to the gym two hours a day. 20 minutes a day at the gym, you'll make huge amount of progress over a year. Same with language learned. On a similar note, one of the questions that we always like to ask those who come on the podcast is, what is your definition of language hacking? Language hacking to me would be finding the most efficient and effective way to learn a language for me specifically. So it's efficient because it saves you the most amount of time, but it still helps you reach your goal. And it's probably different to everybody. So for me, like I, in German, I wanted to be able to speak at soccer practice. So having that language island of soccer specific words, that was my hack. For Spanish, I can't use that same thing. It has to be a different language hack, but it's still finding the most efficient and effective method that works for me, for my goal. Yeah, I like that. So in your case, how do you see your future with uh, language learning and how is that going to interact with how you expand on your business? The past few months, my language learning dial has been closer to like a four or five because business has been uh, so high up there, but I'm getting the itch back again. And that's the nice thing about going down to a four. You're still with the language, but it's always there. It's not like I just ignored it and locked it away in the closet and never see it again. It's still a part of my life, but it's not as big of a part of life. So now I'm kind of getting the itch. I'm getting the desire to start learning again. So I'd imagine in the next few months that dial is going to be going up where I'm spending more concentrated, dedicated time each day to really improving, not just interacting with the language. So for me, that means going a little bit deeper with Spanish, but I've also always had this um, fascination with different Japanese cultural things, stories, et cetera. So I am uh, kind of getting the itch to start Japanese and I can say all of zero words in Japanese. So I'll be totally starting from scratch, but I'm very uh, excited about that challenge. So I'd imagine that's what my next few months look like, a little bit deeper in Spanish and switching to Japanese. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll make sure that if people want to find out more about you, that uh, we have all links to your stuff in uh, the show notes for today's episode. 
And I wish you the best of luck with all of your language projects. And until the next time, I'll wish everybody listening very happy language learning. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our discussion with our guest. And this is something that's actionable that you can put into practice with your own language learning and try out over this next week. So you can see if there's maybe something that you can do to improve your current language learning system. So Benny, do you want to go ahead and start and share what you got out of our conversation? Absolutely. So I really, really liked Andrew's analogy with uh, these radio dials in his life that are turn between one and 10. And that it's, it's a reminder that we can't be perfect at everything. You can't have a 10 on your dial with both your work life and your family life and your social life and your passions like language learning. They can't all be at a 10. So as long as we don't have too high expectations of ourselves, we can find a realistic balance in our life where maybe for these next couple of months, my business uh, life is at a 10 and my language life is taking a bit of a backseat. But then in a few months time, my languages can go back up to a 10. And that's certainly been the case for me that until recently, I've had to tone my languages down a little bit, but now I'm getting back into them and putting them back up to a level 10. So I really like that uh, idea that he brought through because I think too many of us want to be at this level 10 for every aspect of our lives. And it's just not realistic. Sometimes we have waves where we're better at one part of our life than we are at the other. And that's okay. What was your takeaway, Shannon? I would say that my takeaway was when he was talking about discipline and how he has systems for both internal and external kind of accountability and discipline. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Gretchen Rubin Four Tendencies, but it's a quiz where essentially you find out what sort of system you need for motivation. And on that scale, I'm an upholder, which means that I need a lot of external motivation. Like I need people relying on me in order for me to like really want to do things. Um, Some of the others are questioner, like where you have to ask a lot of questions before you find motivation. The other is rebel, where it's basically like you're going to do the opposite of whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing. So like finding tricks for looking at those different types of motivation. And I think for me, because I'm an upholder, I often rely too much on external motivation and I forget to build like intrinsic motivation or intrinsic discipline um, and kind of like find other sources for staying motivated. And I think that diversifying how you're staying motivated or how you're staying disciplined can be a really good way to kind of provide yourself with a system of checks and balances so that you don't just have one system. And when that system fails, there's nothing for you to fall back on. So that was my takeaway. Once again, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast or the podcast in general, please let us know by leaving us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. All of the links, resources, and everything else mentioned in this episode will be available to you as a part of the show notes. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pasco, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. 
theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.